Hey everyone, welcome to Sad Girls Club. My name is Zuri and my pronouns are she, her, hers. My name is Gwen and my pronouns are also she, her, hers. And this week in episode 41, we're going to be talking about um, a high school student who got into Stanford and a part of his application application essay was just the words hashtag Black Lives Matter a hundred times. Um, the Kendall Jenner Pepsi ad. Yes. And this essay about... Um, well, it's called "Why don't we think Why don't we think fat people are worth fighting for?" and a conversation about body positivity, fat acceptance, and like how much people with you know body privilege are actually doing to help other people. Um, but okay. first, we're gonna do what we've been listening to, reading, watching, and how the legacy of colonization has been affecting us for the past two weeks. Yes. Do you want me to go? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna ask, but I was like, whatever. I always ask. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of figured, but I was like, what if I started going and Zuri also started going? <laughs> um, okay, so reading, like, the 13 Reasons Why Wikipedia page, you know? Like, y'all know me. I read three pages of an article about the American Sociological Association's role in, like, high school sociology, and then I'm out. Like, I don't read. I'm still in the middle of that Sarah Ahmed book. It's just yes. really hard for my attention span. It's difficult. And it's just like, it's not with us anymore. And I don't know how to fix it. So if anyone has some tips and tricks, I would obviously prefer drugs. But like, I also am afraid of them. So, you know, maybe some like natural things. Maybe I could just like get off my phone and read. <laughs> yeah, it's because you'd be on that phone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, it totally is because it's like oh, I wonder if something else happened on Twitter and it's like Gwen you've refreshed and no new <laughs> tweets are coming up I follow almost 600 people the fact that no new tweets are coming up and I'm still over here refreshing no I need to you're right I have to get off that phone I don't know how people who like don't have a commute like read though like I never read like in my house or like in a park or that's right? why it's difficult yeah no it is difficult um, but I was also thinking, like, because I have just a lunch hour and sometimes oh, yeah. I have downtime at work. So it's like, oh, I can just go out and read. But it's like, then I'm watching TV on my lunch hour or I'm just out and about. And it's like, when do something productive. Because I work <laughs> on a campus. So it's like, I could literally sit outside, be picturesque, and open a damn book. And I don't. So I just really need to – I just have to tell myself that I'm going to get smarter if I read, which is actually true. Yeah, that's will. Really true. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just so lazy and I'm already like, I know everything. Or like I read one sentence and I'm like, wow, this has given me so much to think about now. And it's like, Gwen, but like you're not actually gaining knowledge. So that's what I just have to tell myself. So that's my <laughs> reading. Um, my listening, I actually do a lot. So I've been listening to – I don't know if everyone know, anyone knows Cupcake – have you heard of her, Zuri? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I have only know the LGBT. Oh, yeah. No, LGBT, <laughs> a.k.a. my yeah. first dance song at my wedding. <laughs> I love Cupcake. She's literally so good. She just released, released a new album called Queen Elizabeth, which I, first of all, oh, love yeah. that name. Like, if my name was Elizabeth, you better believe I'll be going by Elizabeth. Um, so she's a queer icon. Like, I'm obsessed. I love her. Everyone should go listen to her music. Um, and then I also started listening to the first episode of a new pod called Natch Butte by 
Jackie Johnson, which I don't know if I mentioned her last episode, but she's part of the Malls, Molly MacLear adjacent group, um, which I'm newly obsessed with. So I like she's like all about like skin. They spent the entire time talking about like Kylie Cosmetics, which (laughs) I will never turn down an opportunity to talk shit about Kylie Cosmetics, but I don't personally use them. So whenever they're talking about the consistencies of a Kylie lip kit, I'm just like no reference point over here. But definitely once they start getting into more skincare stuff, because I've been really into skincare recently, um, or maybe some brands that I actually care about and use, I'll be more into it. But it is like a Is it a new? Yeah, it's brand new. It's on um, Uh. Feral Audio, which I also hate when like people just automatically start off right off the bat um, with a network because I'm like, you're privileged. (laughs) Let's just be honest. But we're indie, so it's cute. Um, watching. Okay, I don't know if you want to talk about Scandal real briefly. Oh, um, it was such a good episode. <laughs> like it was I art. Cried. No. Oh my god. The scenes when they're at OPA when it was Huck's dream. I mm-hmm. literally almost stabbed myself in the heart. I was like, if Huck goes, <laughs> I go amazing. too. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was like, are they really gonna like make me go through all of this? Like I'm so stressed out. And is yeah. he gonna die? <laughs> like. I know Shonda won't do that to me, although she may. You can't really tell. Yeah, you cannot. But it's like, Huck is so beloved. What would OPA do without Huck? Like, what would Olivia herself do without Huck? She needs Huck. That's her person. Quinn was just, I liked Quinn this episode because she was about to kill Abby. I was like, yes. I know. I saw a tweet that was like, when did Quinn become less annoying than Abby? (laughs) I was like, I never would have foreseen that. Well, first of all, we do have to rewind back to when Olivia Pope was slapping the hell out of Abby. Oh my God, I loved it. And they were tweeting like, this was so sad for me to act out. And I was like, you should have slapped her four times. (laughs) Yeah, literally. Maybe five, six, seven. (laughs) Because I just love seeing her, like, already red-toned face get even more red. I was like, this is pornographic borderline. I'm obsessed. But, like, it was just so good. I loved when Quinn killed that little I know. I loved it. I hate her. (laughs) She's so annoying. I hated her. I loved when Liv came out and gave that like speech and she was like, we're going to bring him home. And everyone was like hyped up. And then I missed the last like minute or whatever. I think everyone did. Because we like went to war with (laughs) I'm going to have to recap that. (laughs) Well, but I love that tweet that's like y'all's president just went to war in the middle of scandal and it's DJ Khaled. Because I was like, (laughs) that was my exact thoughts. It's like, first of all, that's not my president. So I don't know who the fuck that is going to war on behalf of the U.S. It's like during TGIT? Are exactly. you serious? That was an act of violence. But honestly, that scandal episode needs to win an Emmy. Not yeah, just be nommed, win an Emmy. Because I'm also sick of people not taking Shonda seriously. Because That's she is, true. as we talked about last step, best in the game. So there we go. The Scandal's coach. amazing. So I've been still riffing off that up, and it's Monday, and that happened on Thursday. But um, I've also been binge rewatching The Mindy Project, which was uncalled for. No one told me to do it, but I just decided to do it. And it's just it, I'm reliving its funny moments, its best moments. I'm like in the middle of season two when I feel like it starts getting not as great. Um, it's like Mindy and Danny are probably going to date. Like it's that situation. Oh, I'm yeah. like, oh. I hate this because I was never a Danny fan, even though I do think it's hilarious how like 
Staten Islandy he is. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. But I've been binge rewatching and it's been good to me. Uh, as for the how the legacy of colonization has affected me this week, I was I wanted to keep it brief because my last colonizations have taken up half the episode. So I was thinking, I don't know, just I've been really, really sick and annoyed of people thinking I'm just incompetent and dumb and talking down to me. And it's hard to pinpoint why people do this. I'm sure there's a variety of factors. Um, My number one is always like, I don't, maybe just the way I portray myself, maybe the way I speak. I don't know what it is, but there definitely has to be some sort of legacy of colonization thing going on there because I feel like it happens so many times, almost every day, if not every day. And I'm just sick of people treating me like, I just don't know what I'm talking about or I don't know how to do anything. I'm just like, even like at my job, for example, I've been there for literally four months now or three, actually. <laughs> okay, it's been three, so I can't count. I'm incompetent, actually. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I just feel like people are still treating me like I don't know anything. And it's like, this job isn't that hard to learn. I learned it all month one. Like, I don't know. And this happens like also like when I'm talking about like stuff I care about or even when I'm just having a discussion with people like no one takes me seriously. And I'm like, I'm really sick of this. Like, I'm I'm going to have to become a JK Rowling and start publishing things under a man's name or something because I feel like no one gives a shit and I'm sick of it. So that's my colonization. Okay, let me see. Okay, I actually wrote it out this week. So I've been listening to um, No Name on repeat. She is formerly known as No Name Gypsy, but then she she was like, wait, Gypsy is offensive. So I love it. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, she's like, I have been following her for a while on Twitter because like I know her iconic verses from Chance the Rapper Bops. And I, like, finally, oh, I saw, like, a clip from her Tiny Dust concert at NPR on my um, timeline, and I, like, was like, oh, that's so good, like, I should actually listen to her album that came out last year that's called Telephone, and that's all I've been listening to. I mean, I just discovered her yesterday, but (laughs) the past, like, two days, like, that's all I've been listening to just on repeat as soon as it ends. Um, as far as watching, like, nothing new. I'm just watching the same shows I've been watching, like, Scandal, Love and Hip Hop, Atlanta. Although, like, I have a very bad internet connection, so every episode of Love and Hip Hop, I miss about 25% in, like, buffering. <laughs> <laughs> like, I always miss, like, the last five minutes, so, like, I don't see the first punch thrown or find out, like, whose baby it is. And that just happened because I just watched the episode, like, before the recording, and I have no idea what happened at the end. Oh um, and then New Girl, like, I think it had its very last episode last week. So oh, I just, it like, ended? Yeah, it ended. All the people in the cast were like, we didn't hear anything about recording a season seven. So this episode is like, if it is the final, it's going to be like good for a final. Like, no. Well, I feel like they still have cliffhangers, but yeah, that happened. I like may have cheered up a few times. I was like, why is this show doing that to me? Um... And then for reading, so I finished this book called My Sister Rosa. I don't know the author's, like, name, but her first name is Justine. I don't know how to say her last name. And I was reading it because, like, there's this New York City teen author book festival. It's like when I was younger, I was, like, obsessed with YA, young adult Mm -hmm. um, books. And I was like, I'll never read, like, adult fiction, like, 
I'm be going to read YA forever. <laughs> Fully grew out of that. Like, I was tweeting once how, like, there are so many, like, characters from YA series that, like, I aged out of. I have no idea, like, how they're doing. I hope they're okay. And, like, but I went to, like, one of the events at the Teen Author Book Festival a few weeks ago about, like, reading and writing about, and in New York City. And, like, this author is, like, talking about her book. She's, and it was about, like, a 10-year-old psychopath or sociopath I think she's a psychopath and it's like about her like how her brother like tries to control her me being a recovering child sociopath like I was obsessed with that and when I was like waiting in line to the bathroom after the panel um someone like she was like in line the author and someone was like omg like I loved your book like it made me so freaked out and she's like oh thanks she's like the best thing I've ever heard is someone like told me they vomited while they were reading it because they were so anxious and I was just like it's like just that statement made me like so intrigued so like I got home and I'm like doing like googling to get a summary of it because I'm like I don't actually want to read a YA book couldn't find a summary and then I'm like looking up like pdf of it i'm like wait the library exists (laughs) so i just like ordered this book from the library i read the whole book didn't vomit but it's like i can't read YA. like i definitely i'm like why are there 10 million like subplots like how come she describes every hair on each character's head the first of all the main character is a 17 year old white well he's australian like white kid and it's like "Mm, i don't care about that i'm like okay you're just trying to fuck as much as you can into this story but it was like I guess entertaining it's like the whole time just like waiting to vomit I'm like what is the kid's sister gonna do like when is she gonna kill someone and she does kill someone and that's Mm -hmm. like there's like another twist behind that so I'm like okay good so that's what I read last week and then right now I'm reading Roxane Gay's no yeah it's like I was like this should like be a movie probably like it was like that kind of thing um yeah Roxane Gay's book of short stories it's called difficult women I just heard it today it's my book club book for this month it's like very different from her other things like I've read you know all of Roxane Gay's stuff I'm obsessed with her it's like so dark and depressing I mean it's called difficult women and not like happy carefree women so it's like maybe I should have got that but I've read I don't know like four or five stories and like none of them have been happy so I'm kind of like this is a lot um and then how the legacy of conversation is affecting me so I saw this thing on Twitter like a few weeks ago about um Barbara Smith who's like a black feminist author an iconic black feminist author and I was trying to get like a quote from her for my colonization if people like haven't heard of her the first time that I read her was in my black feminist thought class that I took at our Alma um and so we had this like big like black feminist anthology called words of fire and she has like an essay in it called home what is it called some home truths on the contemporary black feminist movement so I just like picked a quote out of here so like people could understand like how amazing and important she is So it's one of the greatest gifts of black feminism to ourselves has been to make it a little easier to simply be black and female. A black feminist analysis has enabled us to understand that we are not hated and abused because there's something wrong with us, but because our status and treatment is absolutely prescribed by the racist misogynist system under which we live. Black feminism has, for me and so many others, given us the tools to finally comprehend that it is not something that we have done that has heaped this psychic violence and material abuse upon us, but the very fact that, because of who we are, we are multiply oppressed. 
So like that's the amazing kind of scholarship that we've gotten from Barbara Smith first of all so like i saw this on twitter a few weeks ago that she was doing like it's called a caring circle but it's essentially like you know a GoFundMe because like she's really old now i think she's like 70 or like in her 70s and she's like been doing this feminist work and feminist scholarship for her whole life and giving us like amazing quotes and research and stuff like that but like she can't live safely in retirement because of that work that she's been doing and so she literally needs like people to give her money for her to you know in retirement like she doesn't want to be writing like feminist scholarship anymore she just wants to like lie down her bed like paint watercolors watch love and hip-hop I don't know (laughs) and it's like I did donate because I was like I've read I read that in you know college I wrote an essay with like quotes from that and you know her work was just really important to me and but I was just thinking about like how so many women of color and people of color who do this kind of work and she's like like she like is has a was nominated for like a Nobel Peace Prize like she's been doing like all kinds of shit like at her website the website says like educator activist organizer publisher it's not like she's just like someone on twitter who like makes amazing tweets and make you think and like has their like paypal link in their bio but it's so it's like people of color who like dedicate their life to doing this kind of work and like creating scholarship and like putting knowledge into the world it's like they don't have the sort of safety nuts of someone who just like works in an office job and like of course you can be doing like important work in an office as well but it's like these are people who deserve like to live Mm -hmm. you know with dignity when they're 70 years old like she's done so much for black women and like black feminism and it's like and now people are like funding her to literally live right now oh she also is one of the founders of the combahee river collective i hope i'm combahee i've I've, like never said that word (laughs) but like like that's or combahee yeah where the accent goes so i've been thinking about that a lot because that is just crazy and like that's just the reality for and that's she turned 70 in 2016 I just read so like she's been doing this work for so long and then there are people like in our generation who like that's also reality for them going to be a reality for them um so yes think about that let me see let's get into it so the first thing that we (laughs) wanted to talk about was um this came out, like, I think, I guess last week, um, the beginning of April. This um, high school student named Ziad Ahmed, he got into Stanford. And I guess, like, one of the supplemental questions on the application was what matters to you and why. And he wrote, hashtag Black Lives Matter a hundred times, like, as an answer to that question. Mm-hmm. So I put um, a just like an overview essay about it and then two twitter threads in our reading list um but just a little more on the kid he um has like been to like invited to like white house events like he worked for martin o'malley and hillary clinton he founded two youth organization and he's like given a ted talk about being a muslim teenager i don't know if i said that he's a muslim until that moment um and so like some of the things that he said you know after this came out because he actually like posted on twitter like a screenshot from his supplemental question and like his stanford acceptance as if to say (laughs) like this is the reason why i got here exactly Um, yeah 
Yeah. So one of the things he said, he's like, I was stunned when I when I saw it and I was admitted. I didn't think I'd get admitted to, at all, but it's quite refreshing to see that they view my unapologetic activism as an asset rather than a liability. I'm like paraphrasing. Um, and so he's Muslim. He said like him being Muslim and his Islamic faith, um, faith are the reason why you know why he's committed to justice. And he says that. Uh, to be Muslim is to be a Black Lives Matter ally. He says he couldn't imagine it any other way. And he says, like, it's critical to realize that one-fourth to one-third of the Muslim community in America are Black. So, you know, he feels like you can't separate those communities and their fights for justice. Um, So that's just general on him. And then the first thing that I was thinking, the thing is I, I just, like, saw people tweeting about this and I didn't necessarily read so much his quotes, like, until you know now like I definitely think like he's like clearly like a good kid and a good person and like I haven't watched his TED talk I don't know what the organizations he founded are but like clearly like that's important and of course like we support you know kids of color doing activist work and I don't want to discount that especially because he does recognize that like black Muslims exist because so many people like they separate black lives matter movement and like muslim movements and like that's not a thing that you can do so like Mm -hmm. when i read that i definitely was like okay like i he he has like good intentions but like we all know that that doesn't really mean anything Mm -hmm. because like as cute like as this story is and like heartwarming like a black high school student would never be able to do that even he says like he was shocked that his activism was seen as an asset rather than a liability and it's like for a black kid it would be a liability it wouldn't be any other thing right yeah um and obviously we also have to think about like because institutions of higher education don't want someone who's gonna wreck the place you know like deconstruct all of this kind of stuff they want someone like him who has worked with like politicians you know isn't too outside of what the scope of what they think reform or what they think activism should be um so I think because of that it's even more accentuated that there what was the he would be an asset rather than a liability also yeah I mean even the fact that he did like a hashtag Black Lives Matter instead of just saying Black Lives Matter. I don't know. It's like something is disconnected from like the actual mm-hmm. work that they do. And it's just like, oh, like the general like movement. Because so many people can hashtag Black Lives Matter. And like, I don't know, like it can be meaningless. Like, I, I yeah. mean, I understand that like he's a good person. Um, Like you're saying about how schools like viewing actual black students who do like Black Lives Matter activism on their campuses like, they will literally be actively punished for that, and, like, even at our university, you know, there was, there was, like, the Mike Brown case, Eric Garner, and Freddie Gray in, um, the last two years that I was at our alma, and, like, so black kids were always doing, like, a ton of work, they were doing, and then you were there for, like, the, when things were happening at Mizzou, and there was, like, Mm -hmm. all those, other actions at other universities and they like took over a building at our school whatever yeah but like kids experience so much backlash for that and like specifically like black students because like when the white kids like go and do be a part of the black lives matter thing and they can like make their profile picture that they were there like they just get a hundred likes and they do not get the same exactly reaction to it you know so 
And I was also thinking about how like kids of or I don't know, kids of color in general, like with any sort of I put just like radical in quotes because like I don't really like that word, but like any sort of radical ideas, like they always like understand that they have to like tone that down if they're like doing applications, mm-hmm. if they're doing a job, like <laughs> It's not something that you can just like go in with like a Black Lives Matter pen. I have a Black Lives Matter button like on my bulletin board at work now, but it's like that's not really something that kids of color like and black kids think to lead with or think that it's even safe to lead with. So right, yeah, it's like what made him believe that that was something that he could do maybe it's the fact that he wasn't black exactly yeah because obviously the message is received differently from non-black people and i'm also thinking about um i think this must have been in the threads because it's not an original thought at all but just the fact that you can step in and out of black lives matter as a mind you know what i mean like as a state of mind as a stance because Mm -hmm. well i put some tweets from Zoe Samudzi, which did you see them in the thing? Yes, but I love this point that they make about when um this is quoting Zoe um directly. When I slash we talk about black struggle being used by non-black folks for social capital and material gain, this is what's meant by it. And I I don't know, to me that's exactly what that is, because let's say you did do this, let's just say you put hashtag black lives matter 100 times for your supplemental essay why would you then go out and show it on social media if you weren't trying to be performative i don't understand especially because the narrative of it really became like this was like his personal statement or something like you really had to like dig into the story because i think it was a supplemental that way you know like people Mm -hmm. especially like those who i don't know like praise obviously non-black people for doing the bare men Everyone was like, oh, my God, wow, like such an ally, like, wow, personal statement. Oh, my God. And it's like, no, this was like a 250 word supplemental essay. And he's out here showing the receipts on Twitter so that he can get 18,000 retweets or free chicken nuggets or whatever the kids are doing on Twitter now. (laughs) I just don't understand why you had to do that if it weren't to get some sort of gain from that, whether that be like popularity which i i don't know like that's just what it screamed to me yeah and i also put on a thread from a twitter user zainab shahir Mm -hmm. shahar i mean she goes like we basically have high schools that penalize black activism but somehow the college admissions process rewards performative allyship and it's like i mean as soon as i saw the story i was like that's performative i was saying like i'm just cynical in general of allyship Mm -hmm. and I will always question the intentions behind it especially when it's from non-black people of color who are doing black lives matter or anti-black activism because the very same actions that a black person would be punished for you're getting rewarded for at the expense of black students yeah you know so I can't really cheer for this kid when it's like how many black students like applied to this I mean I, I mean he's like a smart kid like he got into other colleges so it's not like he took someone's space but like how many black kids in general like can't write that in their essays and get into schools right for sure but I love also this point too it kind of correlates to what I was saying earlier also from Zoe's um timeline um this looks much nastier coming 
from non-black folks of color than from white people because they help meet the diverse but safe quota. But that's true, especially for non-black people of color because you're still, especially in higher ed, where they want that diversity, you're obviously seen as less threatening. And so even when you're like saying hashtag Black Lives Matter, they're still seeing you obviously as less threatening just based on, I don't know, how like everything has been configured. Right. And like the fact that he is Muslim and not like a white kid also adds to the response to this, like, (laughs) because a lot of people were supportive of that in general. And like he got a ton of like likes and RTs like on his initial post, including from like people who are prominent in the Black Black Lives Matter activist law. And so it's like, (laughs) that's because you're like the safe diversity. Right. Yeah. He's safe. And it's fine. Like he can... I feel like he may be doing good work. I'm a little bit skeptical of the Hillary Martin O'Malley situation. Um, But like, I would go as far as to say that he's was way smarter than I was going into college Um, and a better person for sure. Um, But at the same time, we can't, you know, discount the fact that like we're just (laughs) the entire conversation. Um, that this couldn't have happened if it was a black student. And maybe if it did, it'd be like a one and it wouldn't, or it would be like people would be criticizing them more. Like, it's just not, yeah, I think, you know, like, so well received. Yeah. Um, they'd be like, so what were your SAT scores though? Exactly. Yeah. And I don't even think that a black kid would even do this yeah it's just like they wouldn't expect to get in and they and like this kid is like oh I didn't expect to get in because I was such an unapologetic activist and it's like yeah uh, I I don't even I just don't see a black kid being like yeah I'm gonna write hashtag black lives matter my essay like that's just so bold (laughs) I don't know yeah it's real bold but you know there has to be also I'm thinking there is a certain privilege in being that bold. You know, like, what kind of opportunities have already been afforded to you for you to feel that bold? Right, exactly. Those are our thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's the first thing. Our second topic is also, actually, all of our topics are kind of about performative allyship. I mean, it's a cruise top. So I hope you love it. So this next one is from... This also happened last week, I guess. Um, This is like a Pepsi ad that came out. First of all, I saw that it like didn't come out or it was filmed in Thailand and it was like not meant to come out in the U.S. Even though like they definitely like Kylie Kendall Jenner and like Kris Jenner tweeted it. And they're like, oh, gee, the ad's out. So I'm like, is that backtracking? Anyway, (laughs) did you actually watch the ad? Because I did. I did watch it. Tell us So quick (laughs) synopsis. Um, Kendall Jenner walking around in a blonde wig. She, like, spots, like, enough color. They, like, do winky faces at each other. And then she takes off the wig, like, lets down her, like, natural brown mane and is walking around like a festival. Like, someone hands her a Pepsi. There's, like, tons of calls in the background. There's, like, signs, flags, whatever. And then, like, the cops come Everyone's like, OMG, Kendall Jenner, another bold move. Speaking of bold, um, goes up to them, hands them a Pepsi, and then everything is like, everyone's happy. If I remember correctly, this could be completely 
but I feel like that was what that right. was. I didn't see it. That sounds about <laughs> right. And then after that, there was a ton of backlash, of course, and Pepsi, I guess, pulled the ad, even though don't even really know if it was ever going to be on American. Yeah, TV I mean, screens. that's probably why they pulled it, because they weren't going to The get thing money is, if I America. think that it was like people were obsessed with it, <laughs> it would be. So I don't never understood that thing that was like, oh, it was never meant to be seen in the U.S. Anyway, Pepsi apologized, and I put their apology in. Oh, it says, um, Pepsi was trying to protect the global message of unity, peace, and understanding. Clearly, we missed the mark, and we apologize. <laughs> we did not intend to make light of any serious issue. We are pulling the content and halting any further rollout. We also apologize for putting Kendall Jenner in this position. <laughs> Yikes. It's those white women tears like leading battleships to battle again well i loved that meme of like um, yes chris Chris jenner with the gun being like (laughs) we apologize for putting kendall jenner in this position now read that back to me (laughs) it's It's like so good she was behind that because why the fuck would they apologize to her and then so many people were saying like oh it's not her fault like it's a creative yeah director. i saw that a lot like, and i can't I was put like, any blame on her she's a kid and it's like white she's people just get to be old. kids forever yeah even like when you're 30 like that little olympic swimming yes guy yes ryan who, like, lochte who's yeah, balding by the way why is he a kid he's what <laughs> and even like donald trump when he was doing the like grab her by the pussy they're yeah. like oh he said it 10 years ago yeah. and it's like mm, are white people ever going to be held responsible for their actions like at literal what age like trump was 69 <laughs> and they were still like oh it's the past <laughs> meanwhile like kendall definitely got paid a lot for that she definitely like put that in the bank and then they apologized to her yeah. so it's like um what and then it was exactly. coming out too that she's like in quotes, devastated after the backlash. And it's like, mm, your devastation and your tears, like, don't... It's like, what's the monetary effect of that? I only accept apologies in cash. So <laughs> that means nothing, that you're sad. Right. Um, But of course, like, the first conversation that was being had was, like, they gentrified the Black Lives Matter movement. And especially in the scene where she um hands a Pepsi to the cop because there were so many, like, memes that you can also, like, read with an academic lens of, like, mm-hmm. cops, like, pepper spraying people and, like, people with their fists in the air or whatever. And, like, people were photoshopping Pepsi cans into it. <laughs> like, um activists and black lives matter activists whatever kind of activists like interact with the cops like well as long as you're not at the women's march and you're a white woman you're probably going to see cops at your protests and like they're not just going to be like oh you have a pepsi like cool yeah, i'm not no, going to spray tears on you 100 <laughs> percent. and there were so many memes that were like people getting peppers here and they're like kylie bring me a pepsi <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> it's like um that's not really the response or or way that police engage with cops mm-hmm. at a absolutely yeah a protest that's about like racial activism yeah um and then in the same way that um the kid who got into stanford is doing this kind of performative allyship that's rewarded when people of color don't get any rewards especially not like the tons of money that she got from pepsi co but it's mm-hmm. like when has she ever even like tweeted hashtag black Absolutely lives matter not. and it's like you I do have little black the most racist kardashian nieces and nephews yeah 
or Jenner because she's not she doesn't even have the title of Kardashian yeah I'm just like what but I honestly do feel because it's like who the hell was talking about Kendall Jenner before this right they're milking this I honestly feel like they're they Kendall knew what she was getting herself into Pepsi was like, this is going to start a conversation. Kendall's like, oh, my God, yes. Like, I've been hearing so much about the police. Oh, my God, Women's March. I'm with her. Yes, sign me up. And then it was ill-received because it was a trash pile. And now she's crying. It's like, girl, you knew exactly what you were getting yourself into. You didn't just film. Like, you weren't blindfolded just filming. And then the first time you're seeing the footage is when it's finally finished. That's yeah, not I happening. Saw, sorry, a tweet that was like, y'all are blaming Kendall Jenner like she can read. And it's like, <laughs> she read the script, she acted everything out, she knew exactly That's what the so fuck funny. she was doing. <laughs> it's like, you can't make excuses for her. Like, she has the kind of comprehension that she knew exactly what the fuck she was doing. It wasn't just when she, like, saw the thing. And it's just like, because she's in such a position of privilege that it's like, you can't even see an image like that and see any problem with it when so many people did that it was pulled literally like the next day in hours she was sitting in the post-production room she was there (laughs) giving them tips along with chris she knew what she was getting herself into she opted into this like don't give me the oh no she's innocent like yeah she was in it but why are you focusing all her attention on her it's like first of all i can focus my attention on her and capitalism like I'm multifaceted. I can do both things. But also, I'm like still dying at the part where Pepsi in their apologies, like Pepsi was trying to protect or project a global, a global message of unity, peace and understanding. It's like unity, understanding by giving someone a can of soda. That is illogical. That means nothing. I just wasn't understanding that. And I'm also like, Still to this day, it's April 2017. We're still seeing there are good cops debates also. Right. It's like, I'm pretty sure there has been something come up about every cop in America being violent and doing police brutality. So there are actually no good cops left. It's only bad cops now. And it's like the only time that, you know, someone is calling someone a, a good cop is when they're calling out bad cops. So it's like, exactly. um, It's what? like, well, these Pepsi cops didn't kill anyone. So <laughs> there are good cops left. Um, And then I loved this meme. Which one? But let me describe it. It's the scene where she's handing the cop a Pepsi. And so Kendall is, um, it says white feminism over her. Yes. The ca- Pepsi can says capitalism. And of course the cop, it says car- carceral state. Yeah. And I was just like thinking of the women's march that we talked about mm-hmm. on two episodes a few um, weeks ago, how they were like taking selfies with cops, being like, OMG, like no one got arrested at this march. Go us. And it's like, even in all the backlash to this, like, this Pepsi ad, I was like, y'all are the same people who are taking a pic with a cop. Exactly. Um, a few months ago at the Women's March. And now you're mad at this display of, like, white feminism. Right. It's like, you're Kendall. Yeah. It's like, if you high-fived a cop at the Women's March, you're Kendall. So exactly. you need to examine that before you, like, exactly join the backlash with the rest of us. Right. They're low-key worse than Kendall because they were touching the cops. If we're being honest, so. 
It's like you're mad at this ad, but you didn't see anything sus about the fact that no one was arrested at exactly. the women's marches. Exactly. And also half of you voted for Trump anyway and are still at the women's march. So what the hell? It's like, think critically before you join <laughs> in the memes. I know you want to be a part of the memes, but you yeah. need to think critically. Exactly. It's like you have to be smart and funny to be part of meme culture. And y'all are missing the mark. Truly. So our last topic which is our general topic um we're done with the news um so yeah like i'm saying in the intro the essay is called why don't we think fat people are worth fighting for by ajma alo and it's in the establishment and so the author of this piece tweeted out if you are thin and believe in body positivity why do you buy clothing from labels and stores that don't sell plus sizes um and so in response to that tweet, which, like, totally makes sense because a lot of people who care about social justice and activism and whatever, like, they support all kinds of boycotts. They understand the ways that, like, mm-hmm. buying things affects the causes that they believe in. And, yeah, like, so many people had, like, all kinds of excuses towards her tweet, including, like, I'm sure I'm tall, I'm poor. Meanwhile, <laughs> fat people who are all of those things exist. Exactly. And, like, they also need to wear clothes. And, like, the underlying thing that I kind of got from all their comments was, like, they only think that fat people should have a hard time shopping Mm -hmm. for clothes. Because it's, like, oh, like, I'm whatever, I'm tall, I'm sure, I'm poor, like, I need some, I want to have, like, a good experience when I'm shopping, like, I want to take care of me. And it's, like, well, you realize that, like, fat people don't have that anywhere. And you think that's okay, clearly. Mm -hmm. Like, I had never thought about this kind of boycott either. Like, I'm thin. But... Like, I didn't, I wasn't defensive about it. Like, it makes complete sense. Mm -hmm. It's, like, the same thing when you want to be an activist without doing any of the work. Right, yeah. But, But, um, no, you can go. No, I was just going to say, though, then I don't think, none of those people actually give a shit about fat acceptance. Right. They don't care. All they care about is them feeling good about them, themselves, that's literally the only thing that they care about. And that's kind of what body positivity has morphed into. Right. And it's like the thing about this sort of idea, like only shopping at places that carry plus sizes is that um, it's a way to use your privilege that shows solidarity mm-hmm. and enacts change. And like most people, they just want to like show solidarity. They don't want to actually do anything and they don't yeah. want to give up their privilege. Exactly. And it's like. If you can just go into any store, like, find things that fit you, find things that look good, see models and mannequins that look like you, like, that's a privilege. And the author of this piece was saying that, like, um, what's the quote? She's not saying, she's like, fashionable clothing should not be a reward reserved to those who are thin, but that's how society sees that. She's saying, like, it's not like I'm going to die, like, if I don't have, like, fashionable looks, but even when you're, like, when you're trying to buy anything, underwear, like, that, you need that. (laughs) And it's like, you go into any store and you see it, like, you're not, your body is not, like, acceptable. Mm -hmm. Um, But some of the, I mean, the underlying I guess, question of this piece and, like, this conversation is, like, what do people really mean when they say body positivity? And we've definitely talked about that, you know, a lot because it's just, I mean, like, so many words that have just been, like, used up in all this, like, conversation about activism that it literally means nothing at this point. And, you know, people should just be honest about or, like, get to the root of what they are talking about when they say body positivity because Mm. 
I mean, we've said this before, but like, I really just see it as a really basic, like, all bodies are good bodies. There's no wrong way to have a body. Everybody is beautiful. And it's like, you know, people experience violence for living in their bodies. Just like having these super basic, like, I don't know, sayings like that, like that isn't enough because Mm -hmm. especially if you are in a body that's privileged saying me being thin and saying all bodies are good bodies like that does nothing for fat women who are at the margins of oppression and so I mean like clearly like just you don't care about like fat people like just say that instead of saying oh like I'm short I need stories that are for me I, I can't like I can't be a part of this kind of boycott. Mm-hmm. It's like boycotts, you're giving up something that like is helpful to you. Like that's the whole that's point. That's the whole point. Though. Yeah. It's not like you're giving us something that you never use because <laughs> that's, you know, wouldn't really do anything. Right. No, for sure. Um, but also while you were talking, I w- you said they want to show solidarity, but they don't actually want to do anything. And Zoe actually thinking back on the thread about um, the Stanford application mm-hmm. asks in her timeline or on her tweets in her thread what even it or let me just quote her real quick how are you going to make capitalizing on a popular and hyper visible movement a demonstration of solidarity what even is solidarity then so to go back to your point if you're not actually doing like this would be an action that you could do if you're not doing that then what is solidarity buying pins on etsy i mean i guess depending on the creator of the pins then sure but you know, just tweeting something or actually tweet tweets could be helpful. I don't know. You know what? Just putting body positive in your in Twitter your bio. bio. Okay, that's true because that's what because most so of them many do. people like identify as that, and especially like within feminism, like they're like, oh, that's right. a part of yeah. feminism. No, or people just take a quick selfie, click body positive, and it's like okay, like literally walk a flock. I just don't <laughs> understand it. And also when you're like. What do people mean when they say body posse? A lot of what I witness is um, it's kind of centered around people, regardless of their size, feeling anxiety or self-conscious about their bodies, um, but not realizing that, A, a lot of times the very thing you're afraid of is fat phobic inherently. Right. Two, that people who are actually fat face ramifications like there is consequences yeah it's not just oh my god like i ate a potato chip i'm fat that literally means nothing and you're stupid sorry (laughs) i don't you can feel bad about your body all you want because corporations do that to you they try to make you feel bad but you have to understand that that's based off of literally a hatred or fat phobia essentially right and it's like the thing about like body positivity as like an end game as far as your activism and like wanting acceptance of all kinds of bodies as the world you want to live in like you have to literally do work for that to happen you can't just hashtag body posse on your selfies and like expect Mm -hmm. that to be an actual concrete solution the woman who wrote this essay like is a fat woman she says that like she doesn't have like the kind of privilege to like start a huge movement and like usually people who are at the margins like don't have that privilege to actually 
create the, I mean, they have, like, Black Lives Matter obviously started from, like, marginalized black people, but it's, like, there's a lot of other people with privilege and with power who had to be, have to help you. And in this, it's, like, if you actually care about feminism, which, like, most um, body positive people, like, that's a part of their feminism, especially because, like, for women and for fem, feminine people, like, there's just all kinds of restrictions on your body and, like, ideas mm-hmm. about bodies that suck and that are harmful. And so it's, like, you're not – what are you going to do about it? Like, what tangible thing are you going to do about it? Because here's a suggestion from a fat person, and you're, like, you have all these excuses for why you can't do it. Right. Literally. It's, like, if you don't want to give up your privilege, then, like, just accept the fact that you're, like, a fake actress and, like, you're not doing anything to, like, build a better right. world. Yeah. Because I you mean, can't really yeah. do both. Exactly. And I wouldn't even call you, like, these people are still claiming to be feminists. It's like, no, you're not. Right. It's a full no. I mean, just saying it how it is, I feel like most feminists out there are fake feminists. But yeah. still, it's just, It's like know. when you literally just learned about feminism in the past few years, like, that chit-chat thinks. <laughs> it's like, um... <laughs> the she-yo. The she-yo. It's like, I can't really trust how you're going to be doing, like, good activism that is actually helpful for the people at the margins. It's like, that's where every single movement has to start. Exactly. Listening to the people at the margins and lifting up their voices and, like, Mm -hmm. amplifying that. Yes. I mean, if you're not willing to, like, put your probe to the side and do that, then I guess we're, like, never going to live in a world that has body positivity and fat acceptance. This reminds me of, um, do you know that Mia Mingus essay, Moving Towards the Ugly? Oh, yeah. Um, Where she talks about um, wearing sneakers to like some sort of, I don't know, convention or something. And one of her friends was like, oh, my God, I'll totally support you. And then she was like, oh, will you wear sneakers with me? And she's like, no, I have to wear my heels. Sorry. And it's (laughs) like, okay, so you're not actually supporting. Right. It's like, you won't even do the bare minimum. I know. <laughs> because so many people in the response to her initial tweet, like, why don't you um, only shop a source app, have plus size sections? Like, so many people were saying, oh, I never thought about that. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, now she's presented it to you. Yeah. Put it into action. Exactly. One of the other things that she was saying about just like, um, like, boycott in general is because... She says, businesses care about profit and denying them my money is the most effective way I have to influence them to change. Um, Mm -hmm. And shifting her money to businesses that are actively supporting important things that you care about motivates others to try to catch up. I mean, this is just like a a tweet, but I think that the sort of, like if more people were thinking about that sort of thing, especially because like the average, at least American woman is like, what, like a size like 14 or something? Yeah. Like not thin. And yet exactly. like so many stores don't have plus size sections or like their plus size sections suck. And it's yeah. like clearly, it's like, who are you catering to? Because like you're not catering to the average person. You're catering to like this ideal of like what you think women should look like in order to like be respected and like deserve your respect. So right. it's like you're it's like if you want to change that you do need to like think about the places that are getting your money because like I don't know what the thing I'm trying to say is but it's like that's how they know that you support them and that you support the way that they the things that they make I was also thinking about how this is just a form of stratification because 
as you she said earlier um in the article that wait let me read this quote um oh fashionable clothing should not be a reward reserved for those who are thin but um that is how our society sees it and i just am still thinking about that and how mm-hmm. even something as simple as work clothes right. is not easily found and i don't i don't know if anyone who's listening has heard of the podcast big fat broads they're really great um definitely i recommend listening to them but they definitely had an episode on professional clothing for fat women and that was i don't know it's just something that that's like needed for you to be taken seriously in quotes in the professional workspace among other things obviously because taken seriously and being professional is obviously like gendered racialized all this other stuff but that is also a tenant of that is like wearing appropriate clothes wearing if you're a woman makeup or i don't know if they think that you need I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I don't know. That's just like, that's something that people need. Right. And I feel like when people talk about fat acceptance, I don't know. It's just in a way that it's like, oh, it's like not that important. Like you don't need to wear fashionable clothes, like just wear like whatever. And it's, it's like, first of all, like you literally don't have choices. And also like women experience like legitimate consequences for not, dressing in a certain kind of way especially in public spaces like Mm -hmm. if you're just gonna work at home doesn't even like whatever wear a muumuu all day long like you don't need to worry about this but if you're going out to work if you're going to school if you're just being a woman out in public because like Mm -hmm. everyone feels a need to comment on you then it is really important that you like have clothes that look good and that fit you and are clean and aren't like it's like that's the thing that people need it's not like and i don't know it's just framed as if you're just like being annoying and nagging like selfish right it's like let's be honest and actually think about the fact that i mean that's just something that like you obviously experience so much privilege if you never think about it in that way if you're just like if you can just pick anything out and just look good and be fine yeah because so many people who Mm -hmm. are not in thin bodies like that's not their experience at all right for sure well (laughs) yes oh wait quick thing that i wanted to uh mention this is from wikipedia so obviously edited um by anyone but like i take wikipedia very seriously um so i just wanted to quote what the body positive movement is um and according to wikipedia Wikipedia? yeah yeah i don't know how recently it was made but um it says the body positive movement is a feminist movement that encourages people to adopt more forgiving and affirming attitudes to- towards their bodies with the goal of improving overall health and well-being. So just at that overall health, that's fat phobic. Sorry. What the hell does that mean? Yeah, yeah. that's coded no. language. <laughs> exactly. It's like I don't trust the medical industry about anything regarding bodies and health. That's just When they point. say health, it's just like – this assumption that like if you're thin you're healthy if you're not thin you're exactly not it's the bmi of it all that's just a no it's just an excuse to like be a bully to fat people and it's like what about mental health does like clearly you don't care about people's health if you're like exactly. being rude to a fat person because they're fat meanwhile it's like you literally cannot tell anything about someone's health from the way that they look absolutely not you can't tell shit yeah, I definitely 
I mean, we've talked about that so much, even like outside of the pod, because body positivity, like the body positive movement, it's just, I just feel like it'll not ever work because the things that it's like striving towards are just irrelevant. Yeah. It's It's like everybody's beautiful. Okay. But everybody like should be free from violence. Like that's really where it should have started. And really, yeah, it's like why are you talking about beauty still in 2017? That's fake. That's that's fake. (laughs) That's a good place to end. Yes. Um. Okay. So this is the end of episode 41. As always, you can listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Mixcloud and Acast and on iTunes you should review and rate and subscribe and you can go to our website sadgirlspodcast.com send us an email at sadgirlspodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at sadgirlspodcast yes and that's a wrap that's all I got (laughs) okay (laughs) bye alright bye everyone thanks for this